Father, thanks for your goodness and kindness to us. Help us receive it this morning as we look at your word and we look at this idea of suffering with hope. Now, for the follower of Jesus, we have a different perspective when it comes to our pain, when it comes to our suffering. Give us eyes to see that this morning, Father. Give us ears to hear it. Give us uh, soft hearts to be molded and shaped to look like your son. We ask that you would do it right in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, Redemption Peoria. It's good to see you. Uh, If you have a Bible, open it up to Romans 8. If it's not already there, my name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Thankful to be with you. It's already been said. Let me say it one more time. Happy Mother's Day uh, to many of you. Now, uh, this day, and it's interesting where we're going to go actually in the text, just where we happen to be in Romans chapter 8, but um, we realize that even though this is a joyous day for many of us to celebrate our moms, um, it's also a day that's pretty painful for a lot of us. Um, it's mixed together with joy and grief. This idea that some of you sitting in here, this is the first time you've had a Mother's Day without your mom because maybe she's passed away. There's some of you that have been sitting in here wanting and desiring to actually be a mom, and that hasn't happened for you yet. So we realize there's, there's fractured relationships um, with our moms. Hi, mom. My mom's watching from South Korea. Uh, we have a fractured relationship, and we're trying to figure it out, and we both love Jesus, and we both love each other. And um, so there's massive points of joy and pain in the midst of being a mom. Maybe the most joy and the most pain of that role as a mom. Uh, I know certainly for a dad being a parent, it feels like that's the most joy and that's the most pain I've experienced in life. Um, and so it's just interesting that even we get to step into the text this morning, what Paul writes to the church in Rome, and see that there's actually a difference for people that follow Jesus and how they actually deal with their pain and how they deal with their suffering. Um, and so I just want to recognize that in the room, that for some of us, this is, we're going to celebrate our moms today. It's going to be great, and there's going to be good things. And for some of us in the room, um, man, it's really painful today. It's really painful. And so um, that's integrated in life. Um, And that's what we're going to talk about. So Romans uh, chapter 8, we're looking at verses 18 through 25 this morning collectively. Uh, We've been in a series called Life in the Spirit. Uh, We've got this week uh, and two more weeks, and then we'll jump into the book of 1 John, and we'll actually spend 13 weeks uh, sitting in 1 John for the summer. Um, uh, There was a a long-distance runner from Czechoslovakia, and in 1952, at the Summer Olympics in Helsinki, he won three gold medals in one summer. Um, he, run, he ran the 5,000 meters, and he ran the 10,000 meters, um, and then he decides last minute to step in and run a marathon that he's never run before, and he wins gold. Uh, it's pretty unbelievable, the story, if you know anything about running or you know anything about the Olympics. His name was uh, Emil Zaptopik, and uh, again, he was from Czechoslovakia. And he steps in at the last minute, and he wins the marathon uh, at the Olympics. So he wins three gold medals. He has a famous quote for athletes that athletes share all the time, talking about how does he get to this next level of um, being a three-time gold medalist. He says this. He says, uh, it's at the borders of pain and suffering that the men are separated from the boys. And he's talking specifically about athletics. It's at the, pain, at the borders of pain and suffering that the men are separated from the boys. He's saying, if you know how to deal with pain, if you know how to deal with suffering athletically, that's going to be the difference at an elite level because some people feel the pain, they feel the suffering, and then they just stop. That's what he says about 
how to take the next level of uh, being an athlete. But I think as a follower of Jesus, I would say it's at the borders of pain and suffering that the Christian is separated from the non-Christian. It's at the borders of pain and suffering that the follower of Jesus actually has a different way to view suffering, view pain, and work through it because the Christian has a different hope than the non-Christian. And some of you in this room, you, you might not be a subscriber to Jesus. You may have been drugged here by your mom because that's the one thing she wants you to do on Mother's Day is come to church. I don't know. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God, your relationship with Jesus, but there is a distinct difference for the Christian to walk through pain, to walk through suffering. Because we live in a broken world, followers of Jesus will experience pain and suffering uh, it is guaranteed. It is part of a built-in package, not because the world is only broken, but because Jesus invites us to follow his path, and his path is towards death. It's towards suffering. It's toward loving the other. And so anytime you try to love somebody else, there's going to be pain and suffering involved in that process. And the Christian believes that actually there's purpose in the pain. That God is actually doing something. He's molding, he's shaping us into the image of his son all through in the midst of our pain. But the problem is it's still pain. It still hurts. It's still confusing. It's still disorienting. None of us like it. We don't like pain. It doesn't feel comfortable. It doesn't feel good. But we have a different understanding of pain because we have a hope that's secure. So this is the main point that we're going to kind of take away from these verses together, this idea that our pain, even though it has purpose, our pain will pale in comparison to our future place. The pain we experience, the suffering that we're all guaranteed us if we follow Jesus and we live in a broken world, we're all going to have pain, we're all going to have suffering, but our pain will pale in comparison to our future place. And when it comes to this text... In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain, I want to borrow an illustration from another pastor talking about this text. He says, like, there's two things that he wants his congregation to look for in the context of of Paul writing to the church in Rome in this section. He says, I want uh, my people to listen for the groans and to look for the hidden hope. To listen for the groans and to look for the hidden hope. So those are the tracks we're going to run down this morning as we unpack the text Again, for some context, if you're new with us, we've been walking through this chapter, Romans chapter 8, and uh, last week we looked at verses 14 through 17, and we saw uh, as sons, as adopted children of God, if we have given our life to Christ, we've surrendered to him, his spirit indwells us, and Paul says we're called adopted sons of God the king of God. And some of those things with sonship that we unpacked in verses 14 through 17 last week is that we have security. We don't have to be a slave to fear anymore if we're a child of God, if we are a follower of Jesus. We have this security that the world doesn't have to offer. We have an intimacy with a connection with the king of the universe if we are a child of God. We have an assurance We have an assurance as a follower of Jesus. We have an inheritance that is going to be coming to us that is guaranteed that the world doesn't offer. And then the last element that Paul talked about in verse 17 is that actually we have shared suffering. That is a mark of the family of God as being adopted as a son or daughter of God, that there's shared suffering involved in our adoption. So Paul continues in that shared suffering motif as he begins to jump back into verse 18. Let's look at it together. Verse 18 says this, 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let's stop there for just a second, um, because I think uh, verse 18 frames the next couple of verses that we're going to unpack that Paul gives us. But this idea, again, that pain will pale in comparison to our future place. This allows us to experience our pain and our suffering at a different level. If we really understand it, and if we really understand what he means by hope towards the end of the passage. And Paul is somebody that is equated with pain. He's equated with suffering. You can see in 2 Corinthians, you can see other places in the New Testament. Um, Paul has been beaten. He's been imprisoned. He's been bit by snakes. He's had sleepless nights. He's had hunger. He's had shipwrecks. He understands what pain is. And he gives us a different perspective of how to walk through and see and experience pain and suffering. Where you currently are right now in your life, what do you do with the feeling of pain? Like we all experience it. Every single one of us in this room experiences pain at different levels, at different seasons of our life. When that pain comes on you, whether you, you see it coming from a, while, a, a ways away or it's brand new, what do you do with it? For the non-Christian that doesn't hope in the person of Jesus, um, how they deal with pain typically is a couple of different ways. They can numb the pain. This is what we numb pain. And again, we can do this even as Christians, but non-Christians only have these options. They can numb the pain. They can turn to certain things to just kind of uh, make themselves feel good for a season. They can ignore the pain. You can kind of pretend and go, well, it's not really that bad. That's not really a problem for me. And you can kind of try to shove it uh, under a rug, but eventually it will come out um, onto the top. You can numb it. You can kind of pretend that it's not there, or you can try and control your pain. For a lot of us, I know for me, that's probably where I land as a default. When something painful happens to me, I want to grab control. I want to grab the reins, and I want to do whatever I can to get out of that situation that's causing me pain. But for the Christian, we have a different way to experience and see pain because of our hope. And so let's look at the text. Let's listen to the groans in the beginning of the text, what Paul is using this illustration of the creation groaning and what that means. And then let's look for the hidden hope. Verses 19 through 21, let's look at it collectively together and listen to the groans in this text. Paul says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, he's talking about Adam, who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What's Paul talking about? He's talking, he's using this illustration that all of creation is actually groaning. Usually when you hear uh, creation spo uh, spoken about in the Bible, it's usually rejoicing. The trees clap, the mountains sing for the glory of God. In this passage, Paul's saying like, it's not just celebratory that the creation is giving an account for the God that created it, but it actually groans because of sin, because of what happens in the Bible, that all of creation is groaning for a rescue from the pain that it experiences. And for many of us, if you grew up in America and if you grew up uh, understanding church or being involved in church, a lot of us, when we've heard about our sin and that we actually need a Savior and that we're separated from God because God is perfect and we're not, we can all admit that we're not perfect, and so you need a remedy, you need an antidote to your sin, to your separation from God, and that's where Jesus comes in, 
comes down, lives a perfect life, dies on the cross, paying for your sin, and you actually can have life with God again. As you receive him, as you accept him, as you give your life to him, you can be changed. And for many of us, that's how we heard the gospel maybe presented for the first time for a lot of us. And all of what I said is true. But most of us, when we think about the scope of sin and even what Paul is saying here, usually we're thinking about it at an individual level. Like I just mentioned, everything I just mentioned is an individual level. So you can hit that slide that when we think about the idea of God, we think of it typically in an individual level. And then once we realize we need Jesus and we uh, invite him into our life and he begins to change us, we also go, oh, you also need community around you. This thing isn't just individual. It's actually communal. You need the church. You need people around you. You need to grow with other people. And then sometimes the last piece of the gospel that gets presented to us is this idea of it being cosmic. It's bigger than just you and just your little community, but actually there's a whole world out there that needs Jesus. And so maybe you go on a long-term mission trip or a short-term mission trip somewhere overseas and you're able to share the beauty and the truth and the grace of who Jesus is with other people. And most of us, that's kind of how the gospel has been presented to us. And again, none of those things are wrong. The problem is that the Bible speaks of that equation flipped. So we can put the next slide up. It, it actually talks about the gospel being cosmic in scope. Sin is cosmic. It affects every single thing. It doesn't just affect me and my heart, but there's a broader sense of what happens when Adam and Eve decide not to obey God. There are reverberations and there are cosmic consequences, ripple effects of our sin. That the verse that many of us know in John 3.16 is, so God so what? Love the world, the cosmos. Sin is first cosmic, and then it's actually communal. The, the Bible talks way more about this communal nature of stepping in and, and the way that the New Testament talks about the, the plurals, the y'alls of the New Testament. It's way less individual, and it's way more plural. But because we live in an individual society that's kind of consumeristic, we've attached this idea of it's just me and Jesus. And again, it doesn't mean that you and Jesus is not important. You need to get that right. <laughs> but the Bible speaks of sin being cosmic, just like the creation here. The whole creation groans because of the effects of sin. So for many of us, when we're pulling weeds, and you're going like, ah, oh, this weed keeps coming back. <laughs> like this is an example of all of creation groaning. When we see hurricanes, when we see terrible things happening, the creation doesn't want to operate this way. It is a shattering of the perfect created order that God gave because of sin. That's what happens. And so I think it's just helpful for us to understand this and important for us to realize this as Paul in verses 19 through 21 is talking about this idea that, man, sin is cosmic, it's communal, and it's individual. It's not just this individual relationship with you and Jesus, and that's all it is. The Bible doesn't speak that way, but often that's what we hear. It's important for us to realize this when it comes to our pain and comes to our suffering, that there's something that's been disrupted in the order. And whether you're a Christian or not, you, kind of, you can identify with that. You go like, something's not right in the world. Like the things we do to each other, it's, it's not right. And the Bible says that's because of sin. And the Bible also says the solution is Jesus, not just for your individual heart, but for all of creation. 
Let's keep looking. That's kind of the idea of the hidden groans. And so that you wouldn't just ignore it, that you wouldn't push it down, that you wouldn't numb it, that you wouldn't try and control it, but that you would realize this is a part of the story, that you can be honest with your groaning, that you can be honest that you're frustrated when you're pulling weeds. You can go, like, this is not right. And the Bible gives freedom to that. God gives freedom for your expression of lament all over the, all over the place. So that's listening to the groans. The second part is just looking for the hidden hope. Look at verse 22 through 25. Paul continues. He says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons for the redemption of our bodies. Now, we just talked about that Paul talked about that we're adopted. So you're going, well, how are we waiting? He's saying until the redemption of our bodies, when Jesus comes back and we're fully restored. That's what he's using the language here for. Verse 24, he says, for in this hope we are saved. Not hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we will wait for it with patience. It's interesting, this word hope here in the original language, which is Greek in uh, most of the New Testament, um, it's funny when you look up the word, actually the word hope in the New Testament, biblical hope is actually, uh, the translation is probably better expressed, waiting for joy with full confidence. Waiting for joy with full confidence. It's usually not how we use the word hope. Usually we were the hope of like, ah, I hope she goes out with me. Or like, I hope I win the lottery. Like, there's no guarantee. You're just wishing, you're dreaming that'll happen. That's typically in English how we use the word hope. But this hope that Paul is using, he goes, no, it's actually guaranteed. It's actually going to happen. You're just waiting for it to happen. It's a different way to understand hope. And especially in the midst of our suffering, it should challenge us and change the way we think about our pain and our suffering that we just don't go through it going like, well, Man, I hope that even as an athlete, if I run and there's a difference between the men and the boys, and man, I hope I get better versus no, it's actually going to happen. I'm just waiting for it to happen. There's a difference there. And Paul's main metaphor that he uses as he continues this idea of the creation groaning and looking for this hidden hope is, is found in verse 22 when he says again, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth in town now. What an interesting illustration that Paul uses here, especially on Mother's Day. Because it gives weight to the idea that like it's, it's already, but it's not yet, right? If we were to say, hey, all the mothers, we're so glad you're here. We wanna recognize you. If you could stand up, and what if you're six months pregnant? Do you go, do I, do I stand up? Do I not stand up? Am I a mom yet? Am I technically a mom? Am I not a mom? I'm not sure. Um, that's the idea of like the already, but not yet. You're a mom, but you haven't fully realized your motherhood yet. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the brokenness, until Jesus finally returns, we're in this kind of already but not yet. You can experience it, but you can't fully experience it yet. And it should dictate how we see and understand our pain as he uses this metaphor. So I was getting ready to, uh, to preach, to do some prep on Thursday, which is usually my day where I spend more of my time just sitting and praying and soaking in the text. And... Um, I had a conversation with my wife, middle of the day, and she said, how's the prep going? I said, it's good, Here's, this is kind of what I'm thinking about wrestling. She said, oh, you need to call Morgan Burris because she's a midwife and she lives this verse um, in, in what she does when she sits by people that are in pain and they're laboring in the midst of trying to, to have a baby. 
So I said, that's, that's actually really good idea. So I text Morgan. I said, hey, can I pick your brain on this text? And she said, yes. She was gracious enough to give me some time. And, and so I called her, and we talked for about 45 minutes. And the whole time I'm praying, please say yes, please say yes, please say yes. I was like, would you be open to coming up on Sunday and articulating what I just heard you say? Because I could say it, but it's not as good at all. And she said, yes. And so we're, then we're praying like, don't have any babies. Don't have to deliver any babies on Sunday. Don't have to deliver any babies. So she's here. So Morgan, if you would come up with me. Um, and we've talked a, a couple times of just like the challenge of this is going like, okay, we've got 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, and we talked for about an hour of all types of ways. And so um, it could go much deeper. There's actually a mic right behind you here. Sorry. Um, but Morgan, talk a little, Morgan, you and Nathan and your family have been a part of our church body for a long time. Um, talk a little bit about your vocation, what it means for you to be a midwife, what are some of those pieces, and then I'd really just love to hear you unpack, like we talked about on the phone, to kind of recreate our conversation. Um, how does verse 22, and really this passage, fit into your vocation and what you do and what you see? Hold on, this is really going to bother me if I don't fix this. That's my AD. Thank you. Somebody. Okay. Okay. That's my fault in giving you a crooked microphone. Uh, once again, tell us about your vocation. Let <laughs> me just tell you that if your pastor calls you out of the blue on a Thursday and says, tell me what this passage means, it's for us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not looking at um, But uh, yeah, I, I am a midwife and um, it's a weird job. It's a really weird job. I joke that um, most people think I catch babies, but I really catch a lot of bodily fluids and sometimes I catch babies. Um, and then I clean up. And that's what I do all day, every day. Um, but honestly, the bulk of my job is being with women and with their families. The bulk of my job is prenatal appointments and lab draws and listening and processing. And the moment of birth is really a moment and that's one moment in the midst of a whole lot of care both before and during and after yeah so tell us in the midst of that vocation and as we talked about this verse uh specifically in verse 22 and again the whole passage like how do you process paul's words because you, you see it a different lens i mean i've not um, I've had the privilege to hear because you've delivered multiple babies of friends of myself and my wife and how amazing you are at your work and what you do. I, I haven't seen, I haven't been in that space appropriately so with you. Um, Solid. But, but obviously, obviously you have different lenses on this illustration that Paul gives us. So how do you process what he is saying here? I'd love to hear it. Yeah, well, when he first asked me, I literally was silent. Like, I, it, that's so hard to encapsulate in words um, because it's, it's all that I am in those moments. Like, it, it, it's everything that I feel and breathe and think, and it's not something that, it, you know, I don't know, it's not like an Excel spreadsheet, you know, where I can say, oh, first I do this. Um, but... The thing I think that stuck out to me the most is this idea of waiting and suffering in hope. And gosh, that's that's like 99% of what I do is wait and hope with people and walk alongside them through their journeys. Um, we were talking like so much of the experience of being with them in labor is it hangs on the trust that I've built with them leading up to 
that moment, that those 15 hours of prenatals that I'm spending with them and getting to know them and their hopes and their fears and, and all of that. Um, but in those moments, and there are many of them usually during birth or during labor where they're like, I mean, they're at, they're at rock bottom. Um, they're exhausted and in pain and how much longer and how many more and I don't know if I can do this and are you sure I can do this and all of those things um, that getting to, to walk with them and not actually have to experience it in that moment like I see this joy that's coming I know it's there I it, we're like on the cusp of the best moment of their life and um, it is, it's that already not yet, you know? Like, we're, we're minutes, moments, hours away, and um, just getting to be be with them and assuring them of like, this is worth it, friend. This is so worth it. Just one more, that's all. Just one more, that's all I'm asking of you right now. And then we're gonna rest. And then we're gonna wait for the next one. <laughs> and it's gonna come, right? And I'm gonna be with you, and we're gonna do it. One more. It's one less that you have to do. It's come, you're gonna meet your baby. It's coming. It's worth it. And like so much of my job is that. So talk about how, as you're shepherding these women in these moments, because that's what you're doing. You're walking along them, beside them. You're shepherding them. You're giving them assurance. How does our good shepherd walk alongside us in our suffering? Connect those dots from what Paul is saying. is because we have a hope that will be guaranteed you know, I just kept thinking, even when we were singing the song, Oh God, You Never Leave My Side, I'm sitting there thinking, as I'm singing, I'm going, I'm thinking of all the, the pain that I've experienced in life or experienced in ministry, and I'm rewinding the clock, and I'm going, God, you've never left me. Because there's a difference from feeling pain by yourself, and there's a difference when somebody in your darkest moments, in your deepest pain and agony, like you are experiencing with these women, somebody is beside you going, I'm right here. Yeah. I'm right here. You can do it. Trust me. And it would be different if you don't have your own kids, I imagine, in your vocation. If you were telling me that and I was trying to push out a baby, like, you don't even know, right? <laughs> but Jesus, as Hebrews says, steps into our pain. He's experienced the worst kind of pain. And he's going, no, one more push. Remember who I am. I'm here with you. Talk a little bit about that, just that idea of that connection, that we have a good shepherd that walks us through our pain, that we have a different perspective from somebody that doesn't have that that's dealing with pain and suffering. So one thing that I don't do when people are looking at me going, um, this hurts, or this is really hard, is to say, it's fine, it doesn't matter, you're going to have a baby on the other side of this. That's one thing that I don't do, because in that moment, it, it, it does hurt. It hurts the worst that it's ever hurt. And in that moment, they're in the deepest pit of the valley of the shadow of death, right? And so I think something that, as I read this too, um, this idea of suffering with and suffering alongside and, and, uh, and not minimizing that is really, really important, um, because there is such intimacy and um, 
and trust that's cultivated in those moments of really seeing another person in their suffering and not trying to make it better. There's nothing I can do in that moment to make that better or to fix it or take it away. And in fact, if I were to try to do those things, then I would be prolonging the joy. They have to go through those moments. They have to deal with those contractions. They have to go through the pain. And so the best that I can offer is to show up fully as I am and allow them to show up fully as they are in that moment and say, I'm not going anywhere and I'll see you through into the end. And I think Jesus does that. Uh, I mean, in so many ways, Jesus with us, the spirit in us that uh, we don't always do real well with each other, but being with one another in suffering, not necessarily trying to make it better, but allowing people in that vulnerable place to say like, this is what's going on and it just really hurts. And it, it's really painful. And to have the freedom as a brother or sister in Christ, like Jesus does with us to just be with us, to not go anywhere, to not shy away from it or be afraid of that pain and suffering. Um, I think there's a lot that we can, can learn there. Yeah, I think that's so encouraging for us because we suck at that as a church. Not, I mean, we, we at Peoria probably suck at it, but in general, like, um, because we want to step in and we want to help fix, we want to take the pain away. Maybe it's doing something in me while it's doing something you. And so, ah, like, instead of going like, okay, I want to validate your pain. Um, and so from both ends, for me to be vulnerable and to be open, to share my pain with you and for you to step into a place of maturity to validate it, and to allow it to be messy and to not try and fix it is probably the thing I need most, um, which we're not very good at uh, in general in the church. And so uh, I think we need to learn from that pain. I think um, even the way that Paul is using the analogy here, um, it's a pain that actually leads to life, right? That's actually what um, a childbirthing hopefully does, that, that you have a baby at the end, that it's worth the pain that you go through, um, I'd love for you to share if you're open. We, we had that conversation on Thursday during the middle of the day. And then that night, um, you ended up delivering a baby. Talk a little bit about that, that experience as kind of we kind of round down what we're talking about. And then we'll kind of move into this um, idea of application and response for us. Yeah. So we got done talking. And uh, shortly after that, got a heads up text. And it was a baby that we've been waiting for a while on because they've given us a couple like, hey, maybe I'm coming, and then just kidding, I just wanted to keep you awake all night. So we were really excited that uh, it might actually be the night, so I headed over there, and um, it was their third baby. They had a boy, and they had a girl, and they didn't know if this was a boy or a girl, so there was extra anticipation there. Um, and, and I got there, and everything was set up, and um, she had like her little birth pool, and um, she had strong affirmations on the wall that she had written ahead of time, things that she knew to be true, things that she wanted to, to fix her eyes on during labor. I think we actually have a couple images. You asked for permission to share those, right? So this is what you walked into. That's what I walked into. Um, and then you can go to the next one. Um, this is just one of the close-ups of explain kind of the process of yeah. what she wrote and how that happened. So a lot of people will do this, but ahead of time, they'll just like oftentimes their eyes are closed when they're going through contractions, but they'll kind of like open their eyes in the middle. And um, oftentimes they'll find something that they want to kind of like meditate on um, to bring them hope. So this one says, be truly glad there's wonderful joy ahead. Um, 
But this was her core one, the pain that you've been feeling can't compare to the joy that's coming, which was the text that we had just chatted about a few hours prior. And, um, and so she would, she would, she was in the, the tub and she would labor through the contraction and she'd kind of like come out of her fog and just like fix her eyes on that and like repeat that to herself. And then another one would come and she'd close her eyes and like, can't compare, it's worth it. The joy's coming, this is nothing compared to that. Something else that struck me is um, about half of them were ones that she had written and about half of them were ones that her husband had written. And so she not only had her words, you know, that she wanted to med on, meditate on, but she had the words of somebody that she loved um, saying like, I love you, you're strong and you're beautiful, you can do this, I'm going nowhere. And I think that that's really powerful too, that, that yes, we can, can fix our eyes on, on scripture and what we know to be true, but how helpful is it to have those truths spoken over us by other people who we trust and who we love and who are safe in our community? So that was really, um, really sweet. And yeah. just before midnight. <laughs> yeah, and at, a, and, at a time, and at a time when you are experiencing the worst pain and you're questioning whether it is true, to have somebody on your side that is not going anywhere, that is continuing to speak that truth over you, that you even made a, a comment on the phone about like, um, when moms don't believe they can do it. Yeah. And you say, yeah, tell, tell us what you say. All the time. Um, so I, I, I actually don't think that people can have babies without saying, I can't do this anymore. That's usually the moment where I know like, all right, great, we're finally gonna have a baby. Um, <laughs> so when they start throwing up or when they say, I can't do this, I'm like, yes, this is it, we're here. <laughs> Um, but almost always, they will, they'll look at me and go like, I, I can't do this, I can't do it, I don't wanna do this. I'm like, well, that's unfortunate, because here we are. Um, but usually what I will say in that moment is like, I know you don't think you can do this, but I know that you can do it, I know you can do this. So I need you to borrow a little bit of my belief in you and carry that with you. Like I know that you, you don't have that right now, but I do, and I have enough to share it with you. So borrow my belief, for the next little bit until we meet your baby. And how true of that for the church, for us. Sometimes we come into this space from a communal level and we just go, can't do it. I don't know if I believe it. And Josh Miles, who is our former worship pastor, would always say, um, as he's been in different worship spaces, talking about the idea of singing each other forward. Um, when you would go like, I, I don't have it today. And your neighbor would go, it's okay. Let me believe for you, let me trust you uh, and trust in God and, and you can carry that in your darkest moments and you can be okay being messy and because we know that God is gonna finish the good work that he started in you and we believe that to be true. So even if you don't believe it to be true right now because you're in massive pain, massive confusion, um, we need to be side by side with each other and that's what the beauty of the church is. So you said at midnight the baby came? Uh, four minutes before midnight, which was great because midnight was her three-year-old's birthday and she really didn't want to have this baby on her three-year-old's birthday. And so we're like watching the clock going like, girl, you better get on this thing because we're really cutting it close. But that baby came at 11.56. So she's in the worst pain she's probably experienced or out of those other two, she's remembering the worst pain. Um, and then this image, we have two images that kind of show. The moment that she met her sweet little girl. Yeah. She didn't even know she was a girl, actually, in that moment. Yeah. But that was, she was just, she, I mean, she went from, like everybody, she went from, like, I can't do this, lots of expletives, 
to, uh, <laughs> to like just tears of joy. To, yeah. Yeah. That's and, that, and, and that's the picture one day. That one day we will be rightly connected face to face with the person of Jesus. If you follow him, all the suffering, it will pale in comparison. And you go, man, I've got a lot of suffering right now. I don't know. It's really painful. And it will melt away because of the goodness and the rightness of Jesus when sin is finally dealt with and totally done. That's the hope that we get to step into in the midst of our suffering. Share a little bit about her name. Yeah. This is like the coolest part. So we didn't know uh, if it was going to be a boy or girl. And they also hadn't shared their names. So more power to them. So uh, she, she, gosh, maybe four or five minutes after the baby was born, we finally were like, well, do we know if it's a boy or a girl? And um, so she pulled, pulled the baby off and was like, it's a girl. And they were all so excited. We asked her name. And she said, um, it's Magdalene, after Mary Magdalene. We're calling her Maggie. And I was so overcome in that moment because um, Mary Magdalene was one of the few who suffered alongside Jesus. She was there when he was wrongfully accused and tried. She was there when he was mocked and flogged um, on the way to the cross. She wept as he wept and as his body broke, her heart broke with it. Um, and she didn't know what joy was coming. She had no idea that three days later, she would get to experience the greatest joy that history had ever seen. And, um, and then she was there, the very first person who Christ appeared to resurrected. And she was the first to, to preach the gospel. And she was the first to know that there was a hope, the greatest hope that was coming. Um, and so little Maggie, um, got to conclude our day and it was I've just held on to that like for the last several days like how good is God to to meet us in that and to give us such a like tangible illustration of what it looks like to hope for things that we can't see with great assurance um, that there's something so much greater on the other side of all of this that's so good I was like blown away when you were telling me the story about her name and I was just like, this is crazy. This is crazy. Uh, and such a sweet reminder of um, as, a, as a Christ follower, you get to step in the places in your pain and in your suffering, knowing that one day it'll all be made right and you will experience the joy of a savior that has actually experienced that pain <laughs> firsthand. Uh, Jesus is actually the only one that has been fully obedient to stepping into that pain and suffering. Right? If you know the story of right before he goes to the cross and he's in the garden and he's praying, agony, um, he's lamenting, he's going, if there's any other way, there's any other way. I don't want to experience this pain and suffering. He knows what's coming before him. Not only the physical pain, he's sweating drops of blood as he's praying, going, Father. But then he says what? Father, not my will, but your will be done. Because he realizes that there's going to be joy on the other side. Again, the greatest joy for you, for I, because of him stepping into his pain, stepping into his suffering. And that's the call for us as Christians to love other people, to step into their pain, to step into their suffering in the midst of the garden. We're going to sing a song as we begin to close, a new song called um, Your Will Be Done. And there's a line in it that says, my hope was sure. When there my Savior prayed, Father, not my wills, but your be done. 
And we have the opportunity for followers of Jesus to step into pain, step into suffering with a shepherd that steps alongside of us every single step of the way. And the worst pain Jesus ever experienced, the worst pain any human has ever experienced is he's on the cross, not just physical pain, but separation from his community and then ultimate separation from the Father, the worst pain ever. What does he say on the cross? Many of you know it. We talked about it a good Friday. He cries out. He quotes Psalm 22.1 and he says, my God, my my God, why have you forsaken me? The second half of that verse of Psalm 22.1 says, why are you so far from saving me from my words of groaning? There's a groaning that all of us experience because the brokenness of our life. Will we step in in vulnerability with community and be honest in our groaning and be like, this is terrible. And when we on the other end as a church step in and go, I know but this is still true. And it's okay that you're suffering and it's okay, I'm with you, not going anywhere. Let's walk through this together. That's the hope that we get to experience. And as we move towards uh, responding this morning, uh, that's the hope as we come to the table. The idea that the perfect one that suffered on our behalf is all the while with us. So that when we step down to this bread and this cup and we experience the suffering we're going through, maybe you're in a hard time right now of something that is just so hard and so disorienting and so confusing. You, you, the only thing you can do is come down and take a piece of bread, which represents what Christ has done for you, that he suffered before you. And you can dip in the juice, which represents his sin, shed uh, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you can go, today, I'm going to trust in that. And that's what we're going to do. And we're going to trust that our pain will pale in comparison to a future joy that one day will come when Jesus comes back and he makes all things new and he makes all things right. Let's pray together. Father, would you go before us in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering? Would you show us, even in those moments that we are disoriented and confused and hurting, that your truth if we're a follower of you, we have a guaranteed hope that one day the pain and the suffering will go away and it will be all made right again. Help us endure that pain as we step into it with ourselves, with other people. Help us be vulnerable in the midst of our pain and be real and honest and messy and help us have the maturity to go, that hurts and I'm sorry and I'm not going anywhere. So God, be with us in this moment as we respond to your word, as we respond to your goodness, as we respond to your son as we respond to the spirit that dwells in us for those of us that call uh, you our father. We ask it and pray it in your name, amen.